people really don't just like talk about things. Like if there's an openly gay man or if there's a gay man that's a nurse and he is a little bit more flamboyant, it's already assumed that he is homosexual. And then it's kind of like the people are over in the corner like snickering and talking about it. For me, I'm very proud of who I am and who I love, but at the same time, I'm a very private person too. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I'm not walking in with like rainbow flags everywhere, but if I do, you know how like, the dar the gaydar is on like you can tell it if somebody's family or not so if I what's up everybody and welcome to the queerly black show I'm your host, Ashley, and I'm so happy you came by. The Queerly Black Show aims to normalize the everyday existence of Black, LGBTQIA individuals through an interview-style series with regular folks like you and me. So every week, a new guest shares their story and unique perspective on their existence as an LGBTQIA individual. Thank you for tuning in, and make sure you subscribe, download, set your reminders to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Quirly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'm joined here today by Nurse Jackie. Some of y'all know her probably as the Unicorn Nurse on Instagram. Nurse Jackie, tell the people about yourself. Hey, y'all. So I'm Jackie. I am a cardiovascular ICU travel nurse, or you can just say a cardiovascular ICU nurse, um, known as the Unicorn Nurse on Instagram. Also, um, I do like one-on-one consultations with nurses or people that are trying to become nurses. I have a sticker and apparel shop. I, I do a little bit of everything. I love dancing. I love traveling. So yeah. Hey, y'all. <laughs> awesome. That's what's up. Okay. So before we get into your story what is a traveling okay. nurse <laughs> so a traveling nurse basically is a nurse that goes to different locations you can be a travel nurse in the same city that you're living in or you can be a travel nurse let's say i'm in florida so if i want to go to california there's a hospital that has a need they're short-staffed they need more nurses to come in and take care of their patients they put out contracts that can be two weeks four weeks six weeks eight weeks 13 weeks 26 weeks for some, and I've seen 52 weeks as well. Um, but essentially that nurse would pack up all their belongings, go stay in like an Airbnb hotel, something like that, and work at that hospital for the certain amount of weeks. Once those weeks are over, you're done. You go back home and enjoy fun employment, which is what I'm doing right now until the next contract rolls around. Nice. So, you, so do you have like a home hospital situation? I don't. So I so I used to be a staff nurse. So I had one home hospital. That's where I worked my full time three three shifts per week. Um, and then I left from that, started doing travel nursing. So I've essentially been hopping around to different hospitals for the past year and a half. Okay. So if there's like a city or a state that I want to travel to, I'll find a contract in that city or state and I'll go work there for a certain amount of weeks. Oh, nice. So you can kind of pick, you pick, pick location and then find work. See, that's the joy of having this type of career. You know what I mean? This, yep. this type of skill set is needed everywhere. So you can just yes. be like, yeah. You know, I want to go to LA for a couple of weeks. You know, I'm just going to find me a contract. We're going to make it happen. That's what's up. That's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, I have a, one of my friends, he's a traveling nurse, but he he's kind of just right here in LA. He just got to <laughs> stay right here. Listen, um, California nursing is, is a whole vibe. So I don't blame him at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. He gets his contracts right here. He's like, all right, you know, I'm going to stay, I'm gonna stay right, right, right around here. Um, dope, man. All right. Well, cool. So let's get into your story. So. Okay first encounter with your sexuality oh I think I was like the second grade Ah. yeah I was like the second grade um and like I had noticed like I thought like a boy was cute like I had like the typical like oh she has a little boyfriend like the boy that like brings you a cookie at like lunch and stuff like that 
But then there was also a girl that would like bring me a cookie at lunch too. And I was like, is she my friend? Like, like I didn't, I, you're young, like you're young, you're innocent. You don't know things like that. Um, but that's when like, I knew something was different, but at the same time, like I didn't, I'm, I'm an eighties baby. So mm. it's like, I, I didn't know what that was. I came from a very religious family. So also it's kind of like, I don't know nothing about this. What is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so this second grade, you know, you got the girl bringing the cookie, the boys bring you the cookie. You're like, oh, he's cute. Like that's, that's, that, that was cute. But like, nah, like she brought me the cookie and I'm feeling some kind of way. Um, yeah. <laughs> them beads in her hair. Them beads <laughs> <are> cute, <though. laughs> what, uh, what did that look like for you? Um, going through school, like going through grade school and going through like high school from like discovering yourself. What was that process for you? Um, so going through like, let's say like middle school, high school, that was a little, it was, it was weird, but it was kind of like, what's going on? Because there were people that were in my school that were like, identified themselves as lesbians, or there were like homosexual boys or guys that were there. And like, I would always see them getting teased. So I'm kind of like, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to get teased. Like I had a lot of friends. I, I'm not gonna say I was popular, but I had a, like a set of friends and we were super close knit. So in my head, I'm like, if I'm feeling this way and I think that females are cute, like, do, is it worth it for me to do it? And then also get teased like them and like be an outcast. And I was like, mm, let me chill out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you just kind of, you just like, ah, oh, no, we're not going do that. Yeah, I just, I just went with the flow and then like I'd have family members that would like make comments on those people when they would see them, like when they're picking me up from school and stuff like that. So I'm like, well, if that's how everyone at school feels about it and that's how my own family feels about it, then like maybe that's something that I just need to like just shove deep down and just leave it alone. Yeah. So when did you come out? Um, so <laughs> I unofficially came out in the 10th grade. Um, unofficially. I up, <laughs> yeah, unofficially, yeah. It was kind of forced. Um, so I ended up having like a, a, I guess you could say kind of like a girlfriend, like first girl kiss, stuff like that. Um, we lived around the corner from each other. So like we would hang out after school. And then one day my mom found out about it and it was a blow up. Yo, it was a blow up. So, um, I got in so much trouble. I got pulled out of public school, put into private school, um, I couldn't do anything for the rest of the year that I was in the public school. So no sports, no after school clubs. And I was in a lot of clubs. I played basketball. I ran track. I played volleyball. I did all that stuff. So everything was cut from that point until like I went over to the private school. Wow. So at the school. So how did she find out? Did she catch y'all like kissing or was it like a text message or like what? How did she find out? So this is back with AOL. Whoop it, but instant oh, messenger. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot to delete the you ain't close out the account. Oh nah, man. man, you ain't signed out that day. Nah, man. And oh. I got home from school, like it was a normal day. I got home and she was like, What is this? And I was like, I didn't know what's going. I was like, oh, got me. You and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna see you tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? You <laughs> spitting game, and she like, oh, so this is what we doing. <laughs> I got like the whole like whole church thing. I got in mm-hmm. so much trouble, got grounded, got pulled from everything, got shipped off to a whole nother school. Now, mind you, I wanted to go to private school because I was going to play basketball, but it turned into a like, you're not going because of basketball. You're going because I'm ripping you away from like this. Yeah. Yeah. It was gone. It was for the, the energy was bad. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, yeah. I, I wanted this, but like, I ain't want it like this. Like, yeah. <laughs> dang. so when you, so you went to another school and then, um, 
did you like because 10th grade I mean that's like critical social time um yeah where you so I moved I'm I moved to the new school for 11th and 12th grade um ended up I started dating a guy to to appease my parents still had that like deep down but I was like listen I'm I told myself like I'm home like maybe this maybe it's really not what I want so let me try this another time so dated a guy He's absolutely amazing. We're still friends to this day. And like, he was a year older than me. He ended up graduating, going away to college. He had like, given me a promise ring, proposed to me, did all this stuff. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know, whatever. So I just, I went with the flow. My parents were super happy. So I love seeing them happy. They had forgotten about the whole girlfriend situation. So I was like, cool, I'm in the clear. Um, I graduate from high school and I moved to Florida. So my big break is I can move to Florida. I can do whatever I want to. I can start my own life. I can live how I want to. So basically, um, and nothing against him. I dated a basketball player, a D1 basketball player. So, you know, groupie love over there. Mm-hmm. So we ended up breaking up. I moved to Florida. Pretty easy and, transition out of that one. You're yeah. like, all right, you look a little <laughs> occupied, my brother. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just get out your way. <laughs> basically, like, you're doing a great job. Like, go get them. Um, but I ended up moving to Florida and immediately started dating girls. What you got this Miami Beach, just bikinis everywhere. Just let's <laughs> <laughs> get it done. Gay prides, like all that. But the crazy thing is, I went to a religious college, so I went to a Methodist college. But that was the most turned up. I was going to say college I ever went to because <laughs> I don't even know how like a religious college in in Florida like that just <laughs> it doesn't give like it very it. much progressive religion. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Um, that's what's up. So you go in now you're like, all right, I'm gonna just live my life. Um, how's that conversation coming back to your parents about now? Like, okay, mom, I know y'all had y'all was cool with the D1 dude and like it was real cute, but like nah, it's not it's not giving what you what you think. So funny thing is because I was so far away, it was never like any pop-ups or anything like that. So like, I never, I still was kind of like, I was still in the closet. I was still not talking about anything. I wasn't bringing anybody home. I wasn't talking about who I was dating. And I would always get the question of like, oh, so you meet any nice guys in college? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm studying the books. I'm in the books. I'm not worried about stuff like that. Like I need to get my, my degree going. Um, and it wasn't until I want to say my parents came to visit me at the end of my first year to like pack up myself, take me home for the summer. And they met my friends and I was friends with all the girls on the basketball team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so my mom was like, what's going on? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. You give like, her, you give her a little PTSD. <laughs> you know? Um, so she, she kind of like brushed it off. We would have our conversations every once in a while. Like, and she would say like, I, I know what you're doing and I don't approve of it. And like, just like the thought of making your parents disappointed in you, like for me, that was always like a very, very hard thing for me. Um, so I still wouldn't say anything. Like there was one point where like I was hanging out with some guys from work and she got so excited because she heard a guy in the background when we were on the phone. She was like, oh, so are you on a date? And I was like, I'm like, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm out having dinner with like my coworkers or whatever. And like that kind of progressed on until I want to say like my junior year, I was in a very serious relationship. Um, we had actually ended up being together for like five years and she came up to New York with me and met my family. And when I tell you that was a whole blow up also, like that was the first like, okay, this is me, this is my life, this is who I love. 
Like, and we we got kicked out of the house. We had to go find somewhere else to stay. Mm. You was gonna have her at the house. You was gonna have her at the house too. Oh, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was like, I'm. Let's just be straightforward. Like, yeah. this is this is my person. Hello, meet my family. And then it was like, nah, y'all can't stay here. Mm-hmm. Was she cool about Which it? I, yeah, she she was she, she knew what she was getting into. Yeah, she knew mm-hmm. what she was getting into. I said, "You sure you want to do this?" She was like, "Yeah, let's go for it." So uh. that was a that was an awkward Christmas. <laughs> yeah, man, that's you know that's tough. But I mean, that's brave to like try you know to to know that you know your parents are who they are and to still try to uh, live authentically to you know your your own capacity. So have you ever have have you guys reached the different place yes yes so yes so um very oddly we reached the present day like okay with my wife like we started dating and I just I got to a point where um and I know some people go through this but me and my parents didn't talk for maybe like six to eight months Mm -hmm. just because we butted heads repeatedly like on this whole situation I'm like I'm me I'm the same person that like you raise that you see that you love but the person that I love doesn't change who I am on the inside. All my accomplishments that I've achieved, like all all the things that I've done, like I pay all my own bills, like I'm good. No children out of wedlock, no addictions, no criminal record. Like I got, right now I have three or four degrees, like what are we doing? Mm -hmm. So um, she ended up coming home with me. I think we went for our, I think we went for like Christmas or something like that. And we, I I got somewhere else to stay just in case. Um, and when I told my mom, I said, listen, I'm with this person and I'm very serious about it. And yes, it's a female and I'd like to bring her into the house. Um, and I brought her over and at first it was like a little weird, but they were still very, my parents are very cordial. My family is very cordial. And from that point on, like they're best friends. They text each other. They, they talk on the phone. Like my parents will call her before they call me. Yeah. So yeah that's good I, it's, it's always nice when it, it, it comes around yeah. <laughs> like when it comes back around that's what's up so your wife was the was kind of the the, the pendulum that that's fine yeah so that's good that's what's yes. up um so what what were some of the things like in that process that you feel like helped you be able to come around like with your parents um and them having their own process how what were some of the things that you feel like helped you be patient um, with them and, and all that Definitely patience, um, definitely understanding, like my mother is very religious. So everything went back to like, that's a sin, that's terrible. And at one point we had the conversation, it was like, you have your ears pierced, that's a sin. You eat pork, that's a sin. Like all these different things, like you can like mold and shape the Bible to how you want it. Mm -hmm. Um, And around the time that we had those conversations or the time that we didn't talk for like a, a amount of time and we both didn't like not talking, but we were both so headstrong that it was like, I'm over here, you over here. And we just not seeing eye to eye. Um, so having patience with them, kind of like talking about like their religion and how kind of like no one can realistically live exactly how the Bible wants you to live. Each person has to kind of like mold it to their own, but at the same time, I'm still me. Yeah. Um, honestly, just patience, a lot of patience, a lot of conversations. Um, I had gotten to a point where also being comfortable with myself for a long time, I wasn't very comfortable with myself because I was like, well, what if such and such think something bad about me because I like women? Um, and I got to a point and I want to say it's probably like in my early thirties where I just stopped caring. Mm-hmm. If you don't like me, that's on you. I'm still going to be good either way. 
So when they realized that I was still going to carry on with my life and be good either way, then they were kind of like, well, damn, okay, maybe we should like get this figured out. Yeah. Yeah. Something about when you own who you are, it just, they, you got to get on board or I'm out. What you want to yeah, do? <laughs> what you, mm-hmm. How you want to do this? <laughs> you want your daughter or you don't? You know? Basically. So, basically. Yeah, this is This is me. Take me as I am or have mm-hmm. nothing at all. No. <laughs> um, that's what's up. That's what's up. So now you're a nurse um, taking care of the folks. Yes. Doing the work of the Lord. <laughs> be honest. Um, how was being a nurse through COVID? Traumatic. Very traumatic. Um, and I can say that just about every nurse that has worked through, I call it the panorama, that worked <laughs> through the whole pandemic pandemic and everything, I'm we all have PTSD. I've seen more people die in that two year span than I have in the 11 years I've been a nurse. Yeah. Um, and just knowing that like you really couldn't help, like you were just there to make somebody comfortable, hopefully to get them through this disease that we had no idea what it was or how to fix it at some point. Um, it was very, very traumatizing. Yeah. Cause did you, were you, uh, one of the, the nurses that was like on the ground when it first happened, like when it was crazy on the news, like New York was like throwing the bodies in the ground just because it was like, where are we going to put these people? You know, like it, you was in it then like full so I wasn't, the whole night. <laughs> so I was, I was still a staff nurse, so it wasn't too bad. Um, the cardiovascular ICU we do like heart, or we did heart and lung transplants. So they would always try and keep COVID patients away from that. So for a while we were good. We didn't have to worry about that because we were like, y'all can't come in here because we got immunocompromised patients. Well, as it got worse, they were like, all right, we're bringing COVID patients in here or we're going to send you guys to go take care of like COVID patients that have heart or lung issues. So I ended up being very deep into it. And at that point I was like, if I'm going to be here making pennies doing the same thing that the people up in New York are doing, making all this cash. I said, let me go ahead and get this cash. So I went out to Texas and I was doing the frontline work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your service. (laughs) That was a wild wild time. It was, that was a wild time and just grateful for everybody who, you know, all, all types of first responders who, you know, stepped in it and just, you know, took that on and, you know, helped us get through that. So thank you for that. Um, So now you have a platform where you kind of, you know, talk about healthcare primarily, of course, um, as both a black woman, as, as just, you know, someone who cares about people, but being queer is a part of your platform. Um, Talk about just like the intersection of all those things and why all of them are important for you in terms of creating your platform. Absolutely. Um, So I think that it's super important because it, it lets people know that they're seen, that you can still be cared for and loved no matter what your background is, no matter what your orientation is. Um, I will say like, I've had conversations with nurses that are out in California and it's a lot more progressive out in California. And I love that about California or like even in New York, um, like asking people what their pronouns are or having their on their badges, there's like a rainbow or the LGBTQIA plus all the different flags that are on there, like having things like that and being more comfortable with it. I live in the South. So it's, it's very different from being over in California. I will say in the South, it's kind of like, not a, like a don't ask, don't tell, but it's kind of like people really don't just like talk about things. Like if there's an openly gay man or if there's a gay man that's a nurse and he is a little bit more flamboyant, it's already assumed that he is 
homosexual and then it's kind of like the people are over in the corner like snickering and talking about it for me I'm very proud of who I am and who I love but at the same time I'm a very private person too yeah. so for me it's like I'm not walking in with like rainbow flags everywhere but if I do you know how like the dark the gaydar is on like you can tell it if somebody's family or not so if mm-hmm. I do come into contact with somebody like I'll have a conversation with them or if I have a patient that comes in and they I they present female but they like to be like to go by like he him I can have a conversation with them and just say like listen I'm I'm here with you like if you need something specific if there's anything I can do to make you more comfortable while you're here then I I take myself into that and I do that but I'm not the one that's walking into work saying hey I have a wife just because I'm very private yeah yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense um how do you balance being in the south and being queer i mean because it's uh it's not as open not as progressive but i imagine that you know you get queer patients all the time um how do you how do you navigate through like those situations and like do you ever hear like peers or coworkers? obviously not trying to identify anybody specifically but like what are some of the things that you might hear that are kind of like we got to do better it's uh, listen and and nurses are nurses can be bullies like nurses can be like elementary school like bullies like they they can be terrible so I've had some situations prior to like my coworkers knowing that I was a lesbian where let's say there was a, a gay man that was a nurse and they would be like oh my god he acts just like a chick or he's so gay or like how people say like oh my god that's so gay like just having Mm-hmm. saying words like that and not really realizing that it's like a microaggression you might be hurting somebody's feelings or like talking bad about somebody like we had um we had a transgender patient that came in um and he was going from female to male they the nurses that were caring for the patient had so many comments about it that were so inappropriate that I ended up having to pull them to the side and say listen like you have no right to judge who that person is and how they feel and how they want to present so you're here to care for them as a patient you ask them what their pronouns are you ask them how they like to go by and you just you take care of them like you would any other patient so it's it's very hard sometimes in the south to navigate it um just because of how how <laughs> how people are down here basically yeah yeah no i mean i i can only imagine um <laughs> talk about like and it I really want to make sure like we can help people who are in the queer community who want to get who need to get care and be fully seen right what are some of the things that because you know the forms we have right now you know I just went to the doctors and got some blood work like two weeks ago you just fill it out and it's just like what's your uh you know what's your gender and what is uh you know your name and your you know uh your prefix and this and that like all this kind of just very basic generic um paperwork but in healthcare right a a, a male and a female are treated differently depending on what the situation is um but if I go in as you know a masculine presenting woman but I identify as he how how do you navigate that situation as a healthcare provider? Do you do you kind of is it is it based on the anatomy of the patient or how does that conversation go? If a person comes in and has had a breast augmentation and identifies as he, there's no no physical sign that like they have transitioned, they're fully living into their identity. How do you 
kind of approach that with a patient? Um, I know for like the last hospital contract that I did, we actually had updated forms in like our charting system. So when you do an admission, you ask the person what their name is or what they prefer to be called. Um, if they have, if they prefer certain pronouns, um, there's also a section that they added on there um, where it asks the gender, but then it also asks like if they, I forget what the wording exactly was, but it's kind of like they ask the, the, the sex like male or female, but then ask like, are they presenting as something else? So I will say that's something new that I've seen in like the past year that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, I think that just like as a patient coming into the hospital, because you are, and I assume comfortable in yourself at that time, I would just be straightforward and say, listen, this is how I may look, but this is how I present. This is how I would like for you to address me. Like set the tone and let us know. Cause there are a lot of people that are old school. There are a lot of old school nurses who are still in the mindset of like, they're either homophobic or it's kind of like only straight people ever come into the hospital or only straight people like live in the world. So like you telling me that you are a transgender person, like that makes no sense. So it's kind of like set the tone saying, listen, this is me, this is who I am. Like, and if you don't like how that nurse or that doctor or that person is, is approaching you, you can always fire your healthcare providers. <laughs> so yeah yeah uh yeah no I mean even on that like advocating for your own health care mm -hmm. I think there's an assumption that you go into the hospital and they're just going to take care of you right like you whatever is going on if you're coughing or sniffing or they're going to just but like how important is advocacy and how much like what's the balance of like uh kind of uh, like basically self-diagnostics self basically and like your healthcare provider actually giving you adequate care? Like, what is that? What is that balance? And what are kind of the lines? Like, I think to, to your point, like advocating and saying, I don't like the way that this is being handled and feeling like that's a situation that will be respected. That's something that you have the right to do and you can advocate for yourself essentially. Yeah, a lot of people don't know, like when you go into the hospital, you have rights. There are some hospitals that have the patient rights in every single room on the wall. If they don't have it in every single room, it's like when you first get onto the floor or the unit that you're going into. And if it's not hanging up, you can always ask like, do you have a listing of my patient rights? You should always get it when you're being admitted to the hospital either way. It's a list of probably like 20 or 30 different things, maybe even more than that at this point, but it's all the things that you have the right to do or not to do. Like if you don't want to have your blood work drawn for, uh, for labs you don't have to do that if you don't want a male nurse you can request a female nurse and if they don't have a female um, a female nurse there they can bring somebody from a different unit to come and be that female nurse for you um, you can ask for explanation upon explanation upon explanation until you fully understand what is going on with you and just pretty much say I'm not doing anything until I fully understand this but I think a lot of people don't understand that when they go into the hospital so it's kind of like the doctor will come in spitting all these medical terms and the patients are just like, okay, cool. And then the nurse comes in and says, do you have any questions? Do you understand like what they just said to you? And the patient is like, I don't know what they just said. So it's kind of like for the nurses, we're the ones that are the bridge in between like the, the doctors and the patients to say like, okay, this is kind of what they said, but this is the, not the dumbed down version, but the easily understood version, like the elementary school, like, English version of what they just said to you. 
but patients have to speak up for themselves. A lot of people are afraid to speak up when they're in the hospital, but it's absolutely necessary because as a nurse, I can only help if you actually speak up and let me know. Yeah. Um, for clarification for people, okay. um, you know, you can go to the doctor in like to the hospital or to like a get care or like a care system, I'll call it. Cause we have like these uniform health systems. Now you don't really know if it's a hospital yeah. or if it's like a <laughs> care facility or like what really is happening. Um, yeah. what is the line between a nurse and a doctor? Cause you can go to the get care, but you can only ever see a nurse and yeah. never actually see a doctor. What is kind of the difference between the two and like, what is, um, the almost like you can you can you can talk to your nurse about these things like you don't have to like be like I need to talk to the doctor like <laughs> how, like because I think people sometimes don't understand like I mean I have uh you know I have a aunt that's a nurse I live around a few nurses of friends that are nurses I know that you guys are kind of the gatekeepers of all of this yeah. like it's like really the nurse is really the business right so what is that the line of like okay your nurse can pretty much take care of most of your care and it's okay to just talk to your nurse versus like oh no I need to see the doctor <laughs> I've had patients like that that are like I'm not talking to you give me the doctor and I'm like oh you got it um so the first example I'll give is like let's say you go to your primary care physician but your primary care physician is either a medical doctor or it's a nurse practitioner the nurse practitioner in some cases works underneath the medical doctor or they can have their own um, like standalone doc, not doctor's office, but medical office. And you can see either one of those to get like your prescriptions, to get physicals done, to, to make sure that like you're, I don't know, if you have diabetes that everything is taken care of and you're good. So you have an option for either one of those. Now you go into the hospital, let's say you go into the hospital because you need to have your gallbladder removed or something like that. I don't know, you need to have foot surgery, whatever. So you come into the hospital, um, there's a doctor called an attending um, who is going to be assigned to you. They are like your head honcho, they're working on your plan of care and everything. And that doctor has other doctors that they consult to also plan your care. There might be nurse practitioners and then there are also nurses. The nurses are the ones that are at the bedside with you 24 hours per day. Um, so if the doctor will usually come in in the morning, we call it rounds. So they'll come in in the morning, they'll talk to the nurse, see what happened during the previous shift, see if there are any concerns from the patient, stuff like that. We'll relay that to the doctor. They'll look over lab values, how the patient's progressing, stuff like that. Um, and then they'll speak with the patient. So that's the point where the patient should express every single concern, ask every single question they have, even if they have a list of like 100 questions, go through every one of the bad boys, because they not, they're not leaving the room until they answer them. Um, but if you say, no, I don't have any questions, and then they leave, and I walk in, and you hit me with a list of like 50 questions, and I'm like, but they, they were just, your doctor was just here. She was just in here, or he was just in here. Um, now, when it comes to nurses, we are kind of like the gatekeeper. We are the liaison between the patient and everybody else on their care team. So let's say I work night shift, so I work 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. Let's say I'm taking care of this patient, and at 10 p.m., there's an issue with like let's say their hemoglobin is low or their potassium is low or they have pain somewhere that it wasn't before. I will page or call the doctor and I will communicate that to the doctor and let them know, okay, this is what's going on. The doctor will give me an order and I'll take care of the patient. That kind of makes sense. 
Yeah. Explain yeah. it a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. The nurses, the, the nurses, the business. Yeah. So, if there were no nurses, there would be no hospitals. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, so ask, so essentially ask all your questions to the doctor. <laughs> and then if you have some follow-ups as the nurse, but yeah. have them all ready for the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And then the nurse will advocate and get all of that stuff situated for you on the back end. <laughs> yeah. Because usually the doctors or the nurse practitioners or whoever's in there in that level of care for the patient, they're caring for like sometimes 20, 30, 40, 100, 200 different patients. Like they have a very wide caseload. When it comes to nurses, depending on where they're working in the ICU, we have one, two, or sometimes three patients. So it's like, we are more centered on this one, two, or three people. Whereas the doctor has like a hundred. So yeah. like, we'll call the doctor and be like, this is say Jane Doe such and such in this room came in for this lab values are this they're having this issue we call it FBAR report so we give them a whole rundown and say this is what's wrong and then we kind of like usually give a recommendation and most times they agree with our recommendation and give us whatever we want but we work off of orders from them yeah I always wondered this this is just a random Ashley <laughs> wants to know question um like a patient comes in with like no identification like, okay. how do you figure out like who they are like emergency contact or like like how do you go about figuring out who they are I always thought so, about because like <laughs> I, uh, I went to um Howard in DC right so mm-hmm. we had a hospital Howard hospital but there was like always a bunch of like homeless people outside the hospital and like you would go out there sometimes the people would be passed out like you you know they like high or like overdosed or whatever and they're like on the street just like the ambulance comes picks them up takes them in the hospital but like how do you know who that is? <laughs> um, so I did a contract in Baltimore. Um, oh, and wow. Yeah. We had, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we actually had a situation like that where a patient came in, no ID, completely like inebriated, passed out, didn't know what they had taken. Um, so they admit them as a John Doe or a Jane Doe if it's a female. Um, and what they can do if they have like a record or something like that, we can call the police, they can come in and fingerprint them and they can identify them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, like we would hope that maybe they had some ID on them or something like that. Or once they finally came to, then we would ask them like, who are you? Like, what's your name? What's your date of birth? Do you have somebody you want us to call? Mm-hmm. It happens very often, actually. Yeah, I imagine. Or like if, if somebody like gets, like somebody dies and they yeah. have no, like, and you don't, you have no idea who they are. You no fingerprint idea. them and they don't come up in any like system. Like dental record or like nothing. They, they can use all of that to try and figure out who they are. But if they can't, then they ultimately say it's a, a Jane Doe or a John Doe until mm-hmm. somebody comes around saying like, listen, I'm looking for a family member. Here's a picture that they look like. Can I come look in your morgue or something like that? Mm-hmm. But I'm not really sure how long they hold bodies. Yeah, I was going to say, like I'm that. sure. So, I wonder like, because probably, probably uh, depending on, some of these cases are like people I'm sure they have like run away from home or like they yeah. just found themselves in like a, a weird situation. So there's probably not someone looking for them, but like, mm-hmm. and, and I imagine in a situation where someone's looking for them, they obviously check like hospitals and mm-hmm. these types of places in that vicinity of where they think they are. They'll check like a hospital or, a, you know, churches or schools yeah or, you know you know, you're yeah. gonna start with shelters, like the jails, shelters, churches, jails yeah. exactly you know all that kind of stuff and then go from there interesting I just always, I was curious about that um <laughs> absolutely <laughs> good uh so I got two more questions for you uh one is if you had a theme song for your life what would it be oh. 
Oh, you've asked this on other ones that I've watched. I don't know. I don't have just one. I love so many songs that I, I can't even, uh-uh. I can't even think of one. I can't even answer that. Wow, you put me on the spot with that one. And I was like, you I'm know sorry, what? I, I, seen, I, I was like, I've seen that she asked that. Let me think of one. And mm-hmm. I can't, nope, I ain't got it. Favorite episode that you've watched so far? Uh, the one with uh, Dee and Kendra. Oh yeah, with Dee and Kendra. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're cool, they're cool. Um, advice for someone who's on their own career journey who may have had similar challenges to you with their parents um what would you tell them um find the tribe find the tribe find a circle find friends people you can trust people you can just be yourself with and as you hang with those people and you're around those people and they build you up it'll make you stronger as a person and anything or everything that someone else says about you won't even matter because you'll just be who you are yeah absolutely i love it tell the people where they can find you you guys can find me on instagram and tiktok and facebook it's at t-h-e-u-n-i-c-o-r-n-u-r-s-e it's a unicorn nurse but on the middle it's a r-n because i am a registered nurse it's like a little play on words so y'all can find me there dope man y'all make sure y'all go follow nurse jackie get all your information the unicorn nurse Make sure y'all follow Clearly Black, subscribe to the YouTube channel, download the podcast. Y'all already know this is another episode of the Clearly Black Show. I'm your host, Ashley. I'll catch y'all on the next one.